Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. He didn't make Eve from his head to be over him. He didn't make Eve from his feet to be underneath him. No, he made Eve from his side by his heart to be next to him. Joint heirs with him. And when the husband mistreats his wife, forget your prayer life, those prayers will go unanswered. God takes it very seriously. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Proverbs. Due to our fallen nature, many of us struggle with our sense of identity. Perhaps one of the most common ways this shows up is when it comes to gender roles and their function in any given family. In today's message, Pastor J.D. will help you gain a better understanding of the equal yet different values between men and women. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in Proverbs chapter 21 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. You know, when I was a young believer in Genesis, when, you know, God pronounced the curse of the man by the sweat of your brow, you're going to work the ground, you know, the toil, the labor of your work is going to be by the sweat of your brow. I mean, I got that one. But then when it came time for the curse on the woman, okay, your pain in childbirth is going to be just horrible. And then your desire will be for your husband. I'm thinking, oh, that's not bad. The the woman's going to desire her husband. That's not what it says. (laughs) Come to find out what the curse was really about was that you as the wife will now desire to usurp your husband's authority. Oh, well that kind of changes the complexion of the whole thing, doesn't it? You know, as a man, there is something to be said about our manhood. And we live in a day and an age where boys are being brought up and they know nothing of what it means to be a man, a true man. And the last thing we need as men is for our wives to berate us, undercut us, undermine us, contend with us, nag at us, be critical of us. You're just tearing your own marriage down. When you tear us down, as, I'm not speaking us, you guys, I gotta be careful where I look too. How about I just look down when I talk about this? <laughs> I'm talking to those online, that way it's more anonymous. I think you get the point. You're tearing your own house down. You're tearing your husband down. You're, it's, it's really, you're doing that to yourself. How much better it would be to encourage him? I, I tell you, as a man living in the world that we live in today, we really need encouragement. I mean, we really are doing our best. I don't think that we're deliberately trying to be bad husbands and bad fathers. But just, we just need encouragement. You know, there, there is a, such a thing as healthy criticism. 
But there's also such a thing as unhealthy criticism, the kind of criticism that really just, I mean, cuts to the quick. And I'll tell you, it's dangerous. And I don't, I guess maybe I, I need to take it a step further. When a wife is that way with her husband, does that not set him up now when he goes into the workplace? And here's this other woman, and she's saying things to him like, man, I wish my husband was like you. Oh my goodness. What'd you say? Oh, (laughs) tell me more. And this goes both ways. How about the husband who just is so verbally even abusive to his wife, boy, he sets her up and she's out and about and all it takes is one man to say something kind to her, it melts her. And now she's vulnerable to that. You basically, as a husband, can take your wife and push her into the arms of another man that will give her what one has called the three A's. Affirmation, attention, and very important, affection. That's what women need. That's what the wife needs. The husband, on the other hand, he needs respect. I think about in Ephesians, in fact, it's, it's a passage of Scripture that I use with the bride and groom's permission. I always get it ahead of time. I made the mistake one time of not doing that, and I heard about it after the wedding ceremony. Boy, did I get in trouble. But it's very intense, actually. The Apostle Paul is admonishing the husband and the wife. And he says three times to the husband, husband, love your wives. Three times. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. This was not intended to be a Bible study on on marriage, but maybe this uh, needs to at least be said, and we need to take the needed time in this regard. But he says three times, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Love your wives, husband, second time, as much as you love your own bodies. I have yet to meet a guy that wasn't into his, you know, body. It's a whole ego thing. It's a macho thing, right? That's why when we walk in front of a storefront that has reflective glass, we're doing this, sucking it in, you know, checking ourselves out. And Husbands, love your wives as you love your own body. And love your wives as you love and care and nourish yourself. That's a pretty tall order. And usually I'll turn to the groom during the ceremony. It's it's fun, most of the time, for me at least it is anyway. But I'll turn to the groom and I say, how are you going to do that? I actually had one groom, bless his heart, I felt kind of bad for him afterwards. He says, I don't know. I I actually don't know how my, I said, well, I'm I'm glad you don't know, because I'm going to tell you how you're going to do it. First of all, you're not, because there's no way in and of yourself you can love your wife that way. You cannot love your wife as Christ loves the church and gave himself for, it's impossible. The only way you can love her that way is by the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling you. That's the only way. Otherwise you don't stand a chance. And and we haven't even got to the wife yet. 
And what I love about Ephesians 5 is, is that three times, he hasn't even talked to the wife yet, three times, husbands love your wives, husbands love your wives, husbands love your wives. You get the impression that husbands are to love their wives, right? And then at the end, it's like four, five, six words to the wife. He says, oh, and wives, respect your husbands. What? That's it? Wait a minute, that's all? Yeah. Oh, interesting. He doesn't say to the wives, wife, love your husband. No. He says, wives, respect your husbands. Here's how it works. And it's, it's so simple. It might be too simple when it comes to a Christ-centered marriage. How is she going to respect her husband? Because Again, I have yet to meet a man that didn't want his wife's respect. Woman, you used to respect me. I'm not talking submit. I'll get to that in a moment because of the way you're looking at me. I think we're going to talk about submit too. But how are you going to respect? Oh, if your husband loves you that much, God has made you in turn to respect him in turn. You won't be able to resist. You show me a husband that loves his wife like that, I'll show you a wife that respects her husband like that. Proportionate to how she is loved by her husband, he will be respected by his wife. Let's talk real quick about submission. I had no intention of going this far, but maybe this is for somebody here or online. You know, guys, let's be honest with each other. We're very quick to quote verse 21. Wives, submit to your husbands. Yeah. And we stop right there. We probably should go back to verse 20 though, Ephesians 5, and talk about that one first, because the Apostle Paul by the Spirit of God says that husbands and wives are to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. What? I ain't submitting to her. She's supposed to submit to me. I'm the man of the house. I'm the head of the house. Yeah, but the wife's the neck. I wear the pants in the family. Yeah, but the wife tells you which pair to wear. No, it's a a mutual. Let me, let's let's talk about the Apostle Peter. He writes, and I've used this in weddings, Uh, wedding ceremonies as well. It is a chilling passage of Scripture where the Apostle Peter basically says this. Here's the gist of it. Guys, husbands, you want to know why your prayers are not being answered? Why it seems like that when you pray it bounces off the ceiling? I mean your prayer life, your prayers are going not only unanswered, they're not even being heard. You want to know why? because of the way you treat your wife. You're not dwelling with her as a joint heir. When it says weaker vessel, that's not inferior. That's physiologically, physiologically, physically they are weaker. Genetically they are weaker. They're not spiritually inferior. No, they're joint heirs. And when you don't dwell with them in an understanding way, understanding that they are joint heirs with you. I I like how one said it so uh, aptly, that God made Eve from the side of Adam. 
He didn't make Eve from his head to be over him. He didn't make Eve from his feet to be underneath him. No, he made Eve from his side by his heart to be next to him, joint heirs with him. And when the husband mistreats his wife, forget your prayer life, those prayers will go unanswered. God takes it very seriously. And by the way, there is a very important reason for this, because of the typology of what the marriage represents. It is a microcosm of our relationship with Jesus Christ as the bride and Jesus as the bridegroom. This is why it is, I believe, one of the main reasons why God hates divorce. God does not hate the divorce. He hates divorce because of what divorce does to the divorce. But I also believe that God hates divorce because it breaks up the type, because the marriage relationship is a type of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And God hates divorce for that reason. Verse 10, <laughs> maybe took that a little bit further than, but the Lord's word does not return void. So verse 10, the soul of the wicked desires evil. His neighbor finds no favor in his eyes. Picture this, you got somebody that is so cruel, so ruthless, so merciless, I mean, everything they do is just wicked and evil. They, they actually desire evil. They pursue evil. And they live next door to somebody they care nothing about. They think only of themselves. They are inconsiderate of anyone else. Their only concern is themselves. Verse 11, when the scoffer is punished, the simple is made wise, but when the wise is instructed, he receives knowledge. This kind of has this idea of it's better to learn from others' mistakes. I would much rather learn from your mistakes than to have to learn them on my own firsthand. I would much rather learn by proxy, if you know what I mean. So you, you observe how the scoffer is punished, and the conclusion you draw is, I'm not going to be a scoffer because I don't want to be on the receiving end of the punishment that this scoffer is being punished with. And so you wise up, you wake up, you learn from. And it's even better if you just learn the easy way. You know there's the hard way and the easy way. But it's even better if you learn by instruction and receive knowledge. I would much rather learn that way. That's the easy way. I don't want to have to learn the hard way. How many times have I had to learn the hard way and I have the scars to prove it? Verse 12, the righteous God wisely considers the house of the wicked overthrowing the wicked for their wickedness. In other words, God is observing and considering the house of both the righteous and the wicked. Nothing goes 
without his notice. And he will even overthrow the wicked for their wickedness. Verse 13, whoever shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be heard. You know, throughout Scripture, really replete throughout both the Old and the New Testament, it becomes very clear that God is very concerned for the poor. Even in the Gospels, you'll find that Jesus was attracted to those that were poor, the lame, the blind, the crippled, the helpless, the hopeless. Those are the ones that he was attracted to. James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes that pure, undefiled religion is helping the poor, the widow, the fatherless. Here the proverb is warning us that if we shut our ears and turn our eyes from the poor, offering them no help, then (laughs) when the time comes and we ourselves are the one crying, then it will not be heard. You know, we've seen it here in the book of Proverbs, but again it's throughout Scripture as well. When we lend to the poor, it's like lending to the Lord. You want some good investment advice? Lend to the Lord and lend to the poor. You're lending to the Lord and (laughs) the Lord will be no debtor to any man. When Jesus is talking about those that give a glass of water to the least of these, my brethren, It's like giving a glass of water to me. It's like as unto the Lord. Verse 14, a gift in secret pacifies anger, and a bribe behind the back strong wrath. Now this is one of those proverbs that at first read can be easily misunderstood. You can almost come away with the impression that, hey, you want to pacify anger? Just give them a gift in secret here under the table. Hey, you, you want to, uh, you know, diffuse this strong wrath? Hey, let's just, you know, kind of behind the back, let's just offer a bribe. It's not commending it. It's stating the fact that a bribe, a gift in secret can have that effect. It's not condoning it. It's explaining it. Verse 15. This again, very interesting. Think this through. It is a joy for the just to do justice. They take great delight in doing justly. What is the will of the Lord to walk humbly? To do justly. To delight in doing what is right. It's just the right thing to do. And by the way, oftentimes the right thing to do is not the easy thing to do. It's usually the hard thing to do, but it's the right thing to do. And to do what is right, to do what is just, it is a joy to do the right thing. Now here's the contrast, but destruction will come to the workers of iniquity. You know, it's not very long the workers of iniquity, those who practice evil, who delight in wicked, they might think that they're getting away with it. They're not getting away with it. The time will come and they will reach that end. There is no 
exception. Verse 16, a man who wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly of the dead. This is another one of those Proverbs. I mean, wait a minute, what? So if I wander from the way of understanding, I'm basically going to die. Yeah, have a nice evening. Is that what it's saying? Here's what I believe the warning is. We know the right way. We know the right path. It is the way of understanding, but deliberately, it is a deliberate decision on our part to wander from it, to stray from it. And again, it has this idea of there is this way that seems right, feels right, perhaps better said, but in the end it is the way of death. Let me take this. I, whenever I prepare a teaching in the, the book of Proverbs, I always, you know, spend some time with the Lord. Lord, I need insight. What is this saying? What is this speaking into my own life? And how, how is it that you want me to teach this particular proverb? And sometimes I just don't feel like I've really got a handle on it. So I'll go to the commentaries and I'll read the commentaries. And I found this one commentary on this one proverb, and I think it's, it has merit. So stay with me on this. A man who wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly, keyword of the dead. Now think about the writer of Hebrews where he says that do not forsake the assembling, keyword of yourselves together as is the custom of some. Now again, stay with me the assembling of yourselves together in a fellowship, in a church. Don't stop going to church. Because when you go to church, you're assembling together. So I always use the illustration that I, best illustration I ever heard. I have this watch up here, and it's functioning. Okay? Why? Because it is assembled. It's assembled. Now let's just say, for purpose of illustration, that I took all of the parts of this watch, and I just gathered them together up here, just gathered them together, all of the small tiny springs and instruments and gears, and I just gathered them together. Well, it's worthless. It has no purpose, because it's not assembled. You see where I'm going with this? When we get together as a body of believers, it is an assembly, all different parts of the same body with different functions and all very important. It's easy to dismiss Old Testament books as ancient texts that hold little meaning for you today. However, there's plenty of application for your life right now in this modern world. The book of Proverbs is one that specifically provides advice, admonishment, and encouragement for your life as a follower of Christ. As you listen to Pastor J.D.'s message today, though, you may have realized that you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. If that's the case, we'd like to encourage you to change that right now. We have a simple guide that will tell you more. Just visit InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com and click on the ABCs of Salvation under the Resources tab. 
This will tell you why it's so important to put your faith in Jesus and how easy it is to start a relationship with Him. We'd love to hear from you too, and we're available to answer any questions you may still have. Please get in touch with us through our contact form on our website. Again, that's inspiritandtruthradio.com. If you're in the Kaneohe area, we'd love to have you join us for our worship services. Bring your friends and family along too. It's a great time of fellowship and learning about God with Pastor JD. Be sure to let us know that you're a listener of In Spirit and Truth when you visit. Find out more about Calvary Chapel Kaneohe at our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. With that, our time with you has come to an end. Thanks for being part of our study here today. We hope you'll tune in again to continue studying the truths found in the book of Proverbs, right here on In Spirit and Truth. Truth, truth.